Hey buddy, I hoid the droughts moving in, muscling in on your turf. To make matters worse, the man keeps telling you to limit your spigot. That drought is bad news, no fooling. But me and my boys can help. The water boys, on the water zone, Thursday nights at six. We'll help you protect your turf and save water. And hey, don't worry about it. Consider it a gift. Yeah, Louie, you heard the boss. We gotta listen in at 6 p.m. on Thursday nights. Okay, Vinny, you got it. The water zone, Thursday nights at 6 p.m. I'll tell our lawn it's now protected. From the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 10.50 a.m., 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful sunny California, thanks for tuning into The Water Zone today. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Mike Barron, also known around here as Mikeypedia, and together we're collectively known as The Water Boys. Well, today is actually our Ag Week show, and we have uh, Mr. Paul McFadden from our micro-irrigation group uh, on with us today. Uh, Ms. Inge Bisconer is at an uh, off-site meeting, so uh, she will not be in today, but Mike and I will try to rescue uh, the, the, the uh, empty, empty spot. So, Paul, how are you doing tonight? Great, Rob. Thank you. How are you? Pretty good. Hey, I hear we have a budding actress is going to be a guest. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I've been reading up. <laughs> I've been reading up on her. So uh, I'll turn it over to you for right now and uh, go for it. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Our first guest uh, this evening is uh, Beth Mercurio. Beth, are you on the line? Hello, Beth. Not nah, she didn't. I don't think she's in. Nope. We'll give her. We'll give her a few more minutes to to call in. Um, anyway, uh, just just so people know, if they do want to call in and, and talk to us, and while we're waiting, it, the phone number is nine zero nine seven nine two five two two two, or you can call nine zero nine seven nine two one zero five zero. And a good thing, uh, if people want to watch us and see us live and in color, they can go to uh, www.kcaaradio.com or they can go to Ustream. And something new and exciting, you can now catch us on iHeartRadio. So we're very uh, happy about all of that. And we're, uh, we're streaming up those things and uh, we're very excited. So Paul, what's new in the MIB business while we're waiting to, uh, to get our guest on? She, she may be having a little difficulty calling in, but... Hopefully she'll call in in a minute. She she was traveling back from uh, a conference in Las Vegas and was supposed to be uh, uh, in uh, this evening and plenty of time for the show. So hopefully everything's okay. Uh, okay. Um, this week's uh, show is is about uh, community and school gardens and and uh, Beth has uh, been a a director of a uh, community garden in the area uh, the town of Escondido for about 25 years. It's quite an extensive uh, it's pretty uh, garden. Big. It's pretty big from what I hear. It's uh, 140 plots, and there's literally folks from all over the world that participate 
in the, in the uh, in the garden. Uh, when you I had the pleasure of being there a few times, my wife is actually on the board of directors and uh, participated there for for that entire time, pretty uh, pretty much. And and uh, when you go into these uh, events, they have big potlucks, and there's very interesting. There's foods from all over the world. There's uh, different cultures, obviously, and different languages. Uh, some some folks uh, speak little or no English as their first language, and so it's uh, it's very interesting, very fun. Wow, you know we're uh, the Torah companies uh, had a contest going, and there's a school called the um, uh, I just went I just went blank <laughs> on it, but it's in uh, the city of Paris. Oh, it's Mead Elementary School. And we're going to be donating a community garden to them and, and give them some education information as well. And uh, we're doing that with our partners from Scott, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty good. Our studio engineer Carlos is out here. Oh, okay. Um, actually, we have uh, your next guest. Actually, wants to call and chime in if we can, uh, Ryan. Perfect. So we bring him on. And uh, uh, Ryan, good afternoon, and welcome to the Water Zone. Good afternoon, gentlemen. And you're a lifesaver. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Uh, we hope uh, Beth is okay. She's traveling today, and uh, uh, we hope uh, hope she's uh, safe and found. And I hope she can get to the phone soon. But in the uh, in the meantime, let me uh, introduce Ryan to our listening audience. Uh, Ryan Zilker is the uh, marketing director for Western Growers in Irvine, California, right there in Orange County. His role is uh, responsible for the development and management of the marketing strategy for Western Growers Association and its affiliate subsidiaries, including Western Growers Foundation. Now, the foundation is, uh, 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 we'll let Ryan describe a little bit more, but that's where the, the gardens really uh, lie that, uh, that Western Growers Foundation supports. Ryan spent his first 18 years uh, in, in a career working marketing and in market research for non profit banking industry. Moved to Western Growers early in 2016 as enjoying a steep learning curve in the ag industry. A native of Southern California, Ryan graduated from UC Irvine with a Bachelor of Science in Applied Ecology. Also the Master's Degree in Business Administration from Cal State Fullerton. Ryan lives in Tustin, where I once lived as a, as a youngster with his family and two dogs. He enjoys traveling, cooking, eating, of course, if you like to cook, you like to eat, and uh, do-it-yourself home improvement projects. Ryan, welcome to the Water Zone. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. You like the DIY home improvement projects? Well, I'm not very good at it, but uh, YouTube has become my uh, my go-to resource, and I, I'm continuing to, to try to learn. Oh, I was going to invite you over to do some cooking and do some of my improvements that I don't want to do. <laughs> as, as long as it's not drywall. Drywall oh, okay. is uh, <laughs> rough. Brian, uh, you've got uh, quite an interesting background. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, a bit more in depth about your background and how you ended up in the ag industry of all, all places. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like like you said, Paul, I spent the first 18 years of my career working in uh, marketing and market research in uh, nonprofit banking, so in credit unions. So my last post before joining Western Growers was at a not-for-profit cooperative whose sole purpose was to help credit unions compete and win. So uh, when I got the call from actually a former credit union colleague who now works here at Western Growers, 
about the opportunity to, he- to head up the marketing department, I was intrigued. Because Western Growers, like where I came from, it's mission-driven, it's member-owned. It's a trade association whose sole purpose is to help enhance the competitiveness and profitability of its members. So functionally, it felt like a familiar role, um, but it was in an entirely different industry. So like you said in my bio, uh, it has been a steep learning curve for me to learn the ag industry. Um, but one of the uh, highlights of my job is being, being able to work with uh, Western Growers Foundation. Tell us a little bit more about the foundation and really, uh, if you would, uh, how the school garden program and the community garden program rolls up into the foundation. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So uh, the foundation was started uh, back in 96 by some of the leaders of Western Growers. And it was initially uh, a way to bring the edible school garden to schools throughout our member states, which are California and Arizona. So the focus then was really on encouraging healthy eating habits among school-age kids. And the tagline that the foundation used for years was, if they grow it, they'll eat it. We found that to be very true. So in in recent years, uh, the foundation's mission has kind of grown and, and evolved, and it's become more about ensuring a sustainable future for for the fresh produce industry. Um, and we actually have kind of like a four-pronged approach. So if you, you'll indulge me, I'll, I'll kind of go through those real quick. Um, sure. The first one, first one is teaching kids about food and farming, um, hoping to attract the next generation of agricultural professionals. So that's taking our outreach from just the, the K through 12 schools up into the college-age students. And then the foundation is also committed to nurturing innovative and uh, technological advancements that help solve some of the toughest farming challenges. And then finally, we have a, an arm that focuses on communicating economic opportunities and the respect that defines the relationships between the farmers and the people who work on the farms. So it's really like a multi-tiered approach. Um, but, but knowing that we're here to talk about the, the school garden specifically, that being the, the longest uh, the longest tenured arm of the foundation. I thought maybe I could go into a little more detail about that. Please. So uh, I mentioned it was established in, in 96, and um, the, school, the Edible School Garden Program was the original mission. Um, and it was really an opportunity to provide school-age kids um, with the, the venue to learn about farming and nutrition and healthy eating. So... After we funded more than a thousand school gardens across California and Arizona, the the foundation's um, school garden program is also evolving, and it's not so much just about the healthy eating and uh, and learning about farming, but we've seen a, a a renewed focus on the STEM curriculum, so science, technology, engineering, and math. That's become a big focus of schools and education, and we saw an opportunity to bring in the school garden. Um, as a kind of a, a piece to help perpetuate that STEM curriculum. And what we've been trying to do is figure out how we can use the school garden to nurture the natural curiosity of children in all the areas related to farming and agriculture. So we've kind of revised our motto, and this is just kind of our, our, our operating motto right now, and that's from classroom to career. And it's that we really want to nurture these kids' curiosity um, from grade school through high school, 
up into college and ultimately place them in positions uh, with with local farmers. So so we found that through these gardens, kind of guided lessons, lesson plans, hands-on learning in the gardens, the students are learning things about the science of how seeds eventually become salads. We've taught them about the technology um, available to enhance how plants grow. We've talked about the engineering behind farm equipment, and then the math calculated to, or math used to calculate how much water is needed for optimal yield. So we're really tying into the STEM curriculum with real hands-on learning. Well, that's outstanding. Um, so in reading through the, uh, the information that you provide on your website, which we'll get to at the, uh, the end of this uh, discussion, uh, I noticed that there's uh, um, some very important benefits to the, uh, to the students in the, that, uh, in not just learning the STEM, but the, the, the health and the, the learn ability to learn and the willingness to learn. Could you maybe, uh, talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah. Yeah. We've seen a lot of benefits, um, come out of these, the, the edible school garden program, um, one of our, our newer focuses is getting more school gardens into food deserts in the in the real urban parts of this parts of our states. So in, in some cases, we're finding that the school garden might be a student's unique exposure to fresh fruits and vegetables, um, and the kids are getting really excited about growing something that they can eat. I, I was at a one of our school gardens just a couple months ago, and it was so much fun to see these kids pull these carrots out of the ground wipe them off on their pants and just take a bite out of it. And they, they, were, I mean, they were so excited to be eating the stuff that they grew. Um, so, so we see a lot of excitement around it. Not only do they love being able to eat the product of their labor, but through the curriculum, they're starting to understand the science of how these things are grown and get excited about it. And that, that's what excites us, is seeing these kids just just their faces light up when when they talk about the garden. Uh, the, the hands-on learning is really powerful. Um, and, and then beyond the students, I, I hear from teachers all the time that the, the school gardens have become a gathering place for kids throughout the school, not only the students who are in the, the school garden program, but kids throughout the school. Um, they, they gather around the gardens. They check them out to see, see what's growing, how how things have grown, how they've changed. And there's this implicit respect that the students exhibit for the gardens. Um, and, and there's a universal excitement to see the results. So it's, it's really neat to see, to see the power of the garden at the school. Um, and, and beyond that, these gardens become community gathering places. Um, one of the schools actually right near my house, they have uh, community volunteer days where neighbors come out to help plant the gardens. They, they have people building raised, uh, raised garden boxes, moving plants, uh, taking up dirt, weeding. So they get the community involved. And this school in particular, actually, they do a, uh, a monthly farmer's market where they actually sell the, uh, the product that the kids grow. They sell it to the community. So it, it, it really is just a full circle um, program that gets everybody really, really jazzed. Can I, can, can, can I ask what grades you, you cover with this with the schools? Yeah, so, so uh, technically it's grades K through 12, okay. um, but we, we tend to see it in the elementary. It's the most popular in the elementary. Um, so that's you know usually K through 
four, K through five, that's generally where we're seeing it the, mo- the seeing the most adoption. Um, future looking, we want to get more into the high schools um, for the career technical education opportunities. Um, there, we're starting to explore some options there right now, um, but I think the high schools would be a great. Uh, kind of bridge for us to get into the universities eventually as well. So you can, you can then teach them about uh, uniformity distribution and controllers and evapotranspiration, the things, the technology to help them grow the, the, uh, the vegetables and such. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ryan, how long has the Western Growers Foundation been involved in this program, and how did it come into existence? Yeah, so, so the school garden uh, program started when the foundation uh, was founded in '96. And it's kind of gone through a, a number of, of iterations. Um, originally, it was actually funded by uh, block grants through the states, uh, through California and Arizona. And um, through the block grants, we were able to provide um, the monies to the schools um, that were tied directly to education and nutrition. So the, the block grants have changed a, a bit. And we have shifted the foundation to a private funding model. So with that, that allows us a little more leeway on uh, subjects that we focus on and on our mission, um, which, which we like, but it presents an entirely uh, new set of challenges as far as funding goes. Sure, sure. Where, where are all these gardens uh, located? Uh, if you can kind of give our listeners a, a summary of, uh, not just schools, but uh, uh, learning centers or community centers, or what, where, and then geographically, where, what is the, what is the reach of the school garden program? Yeah, so um, all of the school garden programs are are in actual schools, uh, and it's throughout California and uh, and Arizona. So, th- if you look at a map of the state, th- they really are just kind of speckled throughout. Um, you know, in some of the more some of the denser population areas, um, of course, in some of the, the more heavily ag-centric uh, communities as well. Um, but, but really, they're sprinkled throughout. And uh, I'll, I'll make a plug for our website now. It's a bit of a long URL, but it's all one word, westerngrowersfoundation.org. And on that website, we actually have a list of all of the schools that, uh, that have gardens that are funded by our grants. Well, and I think uh, it would be uh, important to share with our listeners if they're interested uh, or if there are uh, 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 educators out there now that are thinking about a school garden and want more information, you can go to that website and apply for some help, uh, an irrigation kit supplied by the Toro Company or some uh, with, uh, funds for seed, a syllabus. Uh, there's tons of resources there. So I think uh, absolutely if uh, if uh, if anyone's interested uh, throughout the throughout the state, uh, that would be a great place to start. Yeah, that, that's a great great point, Paul. Thank you. Um, it, we are actually getting ready to launch uh, our next round of grant um, applications early next month. So we will be opening up our new application process, uh, and we've got a, a a block of grant money that we uh, are hoping to get into the school's hands over the next couple of months. So the, the timing of this, uh, of this phone call is perfect. Uh, we really want to get the word out, get the applications in. And uh, that'll, the application link will be published on that website I just gave, as well as on all of our social media channels. 
So we are on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just look for Western Growers Foundation and follow us, and you'll get updates on uh, when our applications open up. Do you have any partners in the program with you to do these uh, um, these school community gardens? That, that's a great question. Yeah, and it and it it really is. It's all about our partners, right? So, so uh, Paul mentioned the irrigation kits that are generously donated by Toro. Uh, we we like to include those for all grants that are awarded. Um, it's a wonderful uh, kit to help. Uh, help the gardens uh, get irrigated. Additionally, our friends over at Scott's miracle Grow just donated us some supplements uh, that we will also be including with our grants. Um, so those are two of our partners that come to mind. We have countless other partners who uh, participate in the form of donations um, and, and just general support for the program. Uh, so, so there, there are partners, partners throughout. And, and I, I would point out that, um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you how one of the teachers I met put it. She said, uh, for a school garden to be a success, you need three things, shade, water, and storage. And so our grants help the school gardens get there, but, but it's not enough to do all that. So I can tell you that I've seen at the schools too, they have great partnerships in their communities. Um, local farmers show up to help out, provide uh, donations of time, materials, resources. Uh, Lowe's has been tremendously supportive of the school garden programs. Um, and then those who support financially and uh, with product donations. So it's, it really is a, 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 an all-in community uh, effort to, to get, these, get these gardens up and running. Is it, is it hard, for, for example, in some of these areas, uh, I know on school properties, the one that we're, we were going to do are coming up, uh, there's no electricity out in in the areas, <laughs> so you you, yeah. you you have the same thing. So you look towards solar devices and things to to make that happen, or that that that's exactly it. Um, I can actually think of one school in particular uh, in Laguna Beach, California. They they had that very problem. The uh, the school uh, facilities gave them a, a patch of land, kind of out in the corner of the of the soccer field, no electricity. And the teacher who runs the program actually had a connection with the engineering program at the local high school. And so the local high school kids did a solar panel project. They built the solar panel as part of their project, and that now powers the school garden. So it, it was a, just a really kind of cool, serendipitous uh, solution, but, but just an example of the, of the innovation that we have to see to make these things work and the, uh, the solar, solar options. Well, do you think? Uh, sorry, sorry for asking questions, Paul. It's really interesting no, listening, no, no. listening to this. The with the with with the aspect of climate change going around, do you think that's adding to diminishing the farming industry at all, at least in California and Arizona, or do you think with this new with new science and technology, uh, it's going to help? try to expand it from what it is today because i mean we're california is pretty powerful in in the produce market huge yeah yeah <laughs> and i don't yeah, want i don't i particularly don't want to see it go away i know some no. legislators are talking about that but but how, how do you see that coming down the road yeah that that, that is a uh, <laughs> that is a loaded question a little outside <laughs> of my patch but but i'll 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 take a stab here so so what, what we're seeing is that as a result of of changes that are happening in the environment. 
um, there's legislation coming trying to protect the environment. That legislation is making it more and more difficult for farmers to operate in California. Um, so we are seeing tremendous innovation to try to work around around that those those legislative actions, um, innovation to try to have less of an impact on the environment. Um, so I, I have seen some of the most resilient, inventive people of my life in the farming industry, and and I feel like uh, there is a commitment to try to make it work here um, as much as we can while working with legislators and trying to trying to continue to protect the environment because it it, it is it, it, it's funny it's uh, oftentimes in the media you might hear farmers pitted against environmental issues but really if you think about it the, the, the farmers are the the quintessential environmentalists because they need a a healthy earth in order to make a living to, to feed the world so so it is uh it, it, it's it's quite a quite a sticky wicket i think but um i i don't see california farming going away anytime soon but it's going to take a lot of work on uh on the innovation side and on the legislative side right. with respect- I, I also think that uh having over a thousand school gardens that the western growers foundation has has going and and uh, where over ninety percent of them uh, uh, continue year over year. We're teaching these students in these programs all the important things. This, that, like Ryan said, the STEM process or the STEM principles in education, which are going to make them, if they choose to go into farming, they're going to make them more efficient farmers and using the technology and the engineering and and so forth, the science. Uh, you know, they're they're learning from a very uh, a young age through this program uh, on how to be better stewards of those same resources. Would you not agree? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, Paul. When I when we interview some of the children, one of the common themes that comes out is the work that they're doing to protect the earth. So, so they see this as as an environmental uh, activism almost in the work that they're doing. So it's uh, and, and yet it's it's spurring uh, kind of an appreciation for for all that goes into farming. So, so I, I really hope that, that in in the efforts of the school garden program that, that we are helping to to preserve the the ag industry in California and Arizona. Excellent, Brian. In the in the minute or so we have left, uh, any closing thoughts and how can the folks get more information on the on the Western Growers Foundation? Once again, if you would please. Yeah, thanks. So, so uh, again, we've got some uh, our, our new grants. Our applications are going to open up early next month, and uh, please uh, share that wide and, and tell everybody. Shout it from the mountaintops. We really want to get a lot of applications in. Um, best way to do it is either at our website, westerngrowersfoundation.org, or on social media. We're on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Search for Western Growers Foundation. Follow us, and uh, you'll see announcements of our uh, grant uh, application opening up, as well as we will announce grant winners and uh, track progress of all of our uh, grant winner uh, gardens all via social media. So it should be good, and we've got a brand-new uh, website scheduled to come out in the next couple of months. So uh, we, we're Excellent. doing a lot, lot to really get the word out. Excellent. 
any thoughts uh, from you, uh, Rob? Any closing thoughts? Well, Mike also just joined. He was in the control room. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to hear about the, the guardians of the garden. <laughs> and uh, uh, we got to come up with a good tagline. And, 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 you know, Ryan, you know, one of the things we can do, we, we've done this with a, a school out in, uh, in Laguna as well. Um, after we went and put some things in with the Wyland Foundation, we had them on, on the air and talking about it. Mike was asking questions. In fact, I'll let Mike tell the story real quick because it was pretty cute. Uh, it, it was just uh, remarkable um, how informed the students were and kind of the excitement you know, that you mentioned, Ryan, um, these students that have the hands-on experience of seeing seeds in, under earth you know, sprout and grow and then become these vegetables that they can eat uh, really gives them an appreciation for what's, uh, what's going on with, uh, with the growing of our food. And um, they were starting to explain photosynthesis. So, you know, talk about learning, uh, learning a good learning experience. So I, I'm, I'm all for these uh, school gardens. I think they're fantastic and uh, kudos to uh, Western, uh, to you guys to, for, for your foundation and for promoting this. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, taking the time to spend with us, Brian. Keep up the good work, and uh, please uh, reach out to us if we can help. Thanks again, Rob. Yep. All right, we're going to take a little break here from the Water Zone, and we'll be back with Paul McFadden and his budding actress friend. <laughs> Actually, she's a great guest. So stick around, and we'll be back in a moment. Hey, welcome back to the Water Zone on KCA 1050 AM and all these other channels we got. We're, we're building them up. We're, maybe we'll go syndicated someday. We'll go national. That would be, be fun. Yeah, you better teach me how to uh, <laughs> turn, turn on my mic on. first uh, <laughs> if you want to go national. So, uh, But uh, no, it's great to be here and thanks for uh, carrying the load here. Yeah, well, well, I was busy. Mr. Paul did a great job, and uh, we're going to turn it back over to Paul with his next guest. I'm anxious to hear this, too. Thank you, gentlemen. Yes, uh, we, we finally got you. Beth? Hello. Hi, Paul. Hi, Beth. Sorry, we had a hard time connecting in the first half hour. I'm glad uh, you were able to uh, make it back from your trip safely, and you're uh, on the line. Okay. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm sorry, and thank you for your patience. No, no, no. Worked out fine. You have to be uh, adaptable in, in uh, the world today, I think, and uh, this is just one example of it. Absolutely. So, uh, we, me, ju- we, uh, just, we just needed your your acting skills to tell us what to do to fill in when you weren't here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you guys made it work. We tried. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so let me introduce you, if I could, please. Uh, Beth Mercurio is the executive director for the Escondido Community Garden. She was born in Torrance uh, and grew up in Hawthorne. She had a successful teaching uh, career as first as a substitute teacher in various districts around North Bendigo County uh, from 77 to 83, and then went on to teach kindergarten in Escondido from 84 to 2010, where she actually initiated the first recycling program for the entire uh, elementary school district. Uh, she's the founder and managing director of the Escondido Community Garden, which has been operating successfully since 1992. I think that's one of the oldest uh, community gardens uh, around. Uh, the garden, correct me if I'm right, uh, incorrect on this step, but uh, you have about 140 plots. With, 114. Uh, with 
114th, sorry, uh-huh. uh, with Gardeners from Around the World. We talked about a little bit about that in our intro. Beth has an That's AA right. degree from, uh, LL, uh, uh, from El Camino College, a BA degree in sociology from Cal State University, Long Beach, and an elementary teaching credential from uh, Cal State Long Beach. She and her husband, Rick, reside in Valley Center. They have two daughters and three granddaughters. This is going to come as a shock to you, uh, Mike and Rob, but uh, Beth enjoys gardening <laughs> and, and acting and uh, in local and community theaters, reading. She's traveled extensively all over the world and actually lived overseas, maybe picked up some gardening tips from, uh, from, her, from her, her travels. Camping and cooking. Please uh, welcome Beth Mercurio to the Water Zone. Welcome, Beth. Thank you very much. Um, please uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, growing up in Southern California, how did you end up in a in a community garden in Escondido for these past what twenty five years? Um, it was. I think it was rather serendipitous. I grew up gardening with my my dad was always a gardener. Had a great green thumb, much greener than my own. Um, but once I started teaching, and I was kind of known as you know mother earth type and i did some gardening with the kids at school planted a lot of plants and taught them a lot about life cycles but i was driving one day and discovered um city heights had a magnificent garden it's a different one than they have right now uh since then caltrans has taken it like that that is what happens to so many of our community gardens you know it's, it's owned by city land or um caltrans and they decide to take it back so gardens don't usually last quite as long as ours uh, knock on wood. Anyway, I, I discovered this beautiful garden, had never really thought about starting a community garden, just was intrigued by the way it looked. And they had a sign there, and I ended up calling and talking to the people that were running that and just decided to see if the city of Escondido would be interested. The city of Escondido has been extremely supportive. It was hard to get it going. Um, you know, I was, you know, I was setting a precedent and so every every step had to be figured out, and it took a couple of years to get it really going. And our, I think our first shovel in the ground was two years after we I had made my initial inquiries. But um, it's it's been fantastic, and I'm I'm only still doing it because I love it. And when you see the smile on people's faces out there, it makes it all worthwhile. So it was a long process, but you know we've evolved, definitely evolved over the years through the whole thing, and um and have grown absolutely. So we've seen we've, our previous uh, guest, earlier guest, uh, uh, Ryan Zilker from Western Growers Foundation. Uh, that group has put in a thousand gardens, roughly a little more actually, in Arizona and California, um, and they have been about around about almost as long as as you have with the Escondido Community Garden. But we're seeing some of the benefits uh, that they see with kids, students specifically is their willingness and ability uh, to learn is actually enhanced or enriched by, by this, uh, this, uh, this uh, gardening process. Uh, have you found that to be true as well? It sure is, and it, it, especially when you're dealing with kiddies from the kids, excuse me, children from the inner city because they don't get enough time outside, and there, there are so many gaps in their learning because of that. So if you can get them out there and you can hand them a seed and teach them how to plant it and take care of it. Uh, it teaches responsibility. It's going to teach the life cycles. It teaches a love for nature. And there's so many books and pieces of literature that you can tie in. You can tie it in with your science. And that's what teachers are finding. And there's so many more 
school gardens than there were when we first started, um, that's for sure. And community gardens, I think, when I first started in San Diego County, there were, as I recall, 16 to 20 gardens um, in the whole county, and now there's, I don't know how many, probably close to 100, I have no idea, but it's just, wow. it's just boomed since then. Everybody's uh, looking literally over the fence at uh, the wonderful work that you've done in Escondido and has uh, taken that back and, uh, and planted that literally and figuratively in their own community. So nicely oh, done. Well, well, thank you. I, you know, we, we're a pure, I call it a pure community garden in that um, everybody's out there with their own little plot and they're growing the food for themselves or for their family, whereas their uh, creative gar- uh, community gardens have become quite creative lately. Uh, you know, there's the school gardens, there's gardens that are grown for a certain nonprofit. There's gardens grown where um, people are trading the food back and forth right away when it's, when it's grown. Um, so ours is kind of the old-fashioned get out there and plant and take care of your plot, you know, uh, type of gardening, uh, which, which is, is great. But, you know, so are these others. There's a lot of different ways to run a community garden. So for the, for, for the listeners, let me just describe the the uh, the area. Uh, there's 114 plots, as you mentioned earlier. Each one is about uh, four feet by 20 feet in in Correct. size. The the garden itself, uh, as a whole, has a storage shed, a covered cabana that you use to do potlucks and things, as we mentioned at the top of the hour, picnic tables. And of course, there's a bathroom, uh, weekly uh, green waste uh, removal along with uh, nighttime lighting. Uh, what are some of the things uh, that you can add to that description? Uh, maybe some of the challenges? Well, sure, sure, you, of course. Um, we attempted composting, and we were really proud of ourselves when we first started. We were one of the only ones that was composting, and we felt really good about it, but it was overwhelming for us, unfortunately. There may be a better way to do it now, but when you have over an acre and you have that many plots out there, we were kind of drowning in it. So we tried a lot of different techniques. Um, our garden has been just so lucky from the very beginning because we have master gardeners as well as master, a master compo- several master composters out there. And these are people who are trained through the University of California. Uh, it's a master gardener program. They go, they're trained, and then they go back and give, out, give back to the community um, through a certain number of hours a year. Well, I had originally I had three of those uh, master gardeners working with me. They just happened to be in the area and they were very interested in the garden. And I have one master composter, and she tried so hard to make this thing work, but it it didn't end up working for us. So now we have the greens waste comes and picks it up. But we did get um, through the city. We had the, an Eagle Scout project out there where they built a composting area. And this is, this is an area where um, there can be demonstrations, and those happen about three or four times a year on a Saturday, free of charge for anyone. It's open to anyone in the city of Escondido and probably beyond, where they can come out for an hour and a half and learn about composting. So that was kind of the evolution of that, um, and I, I'm, I'm pleased to know that we're at least you know, educating people about composting if we're not able to actually do it ourselves at this point. But a lot of things evolve over the years. When you... You know, when you're dealing with that many people, you try new things. Some things work, some things don't. You know, you you gradually build up your bylaws, and uh, it's a learning process, and it just keeps on rolling. Uh, yeah, growing. Have, 
The Eagle Scouts out there have been amazing. They have done probably at least a dozen projects for us, and that's been so helpful. It's mutually beneficial. You know, they are part of the community, and it's great to bring them in. That was the goal from the very beginning was to make this community garden reflect the community in as many ways as possible. And having Eagle Scouts out there, our kids that are attempting to make to get their Eagle Scout project done, work at our garden, whether it be building this composting area or a, a beautiful stone faucet for people to wash their vegetables, birdhouses, benches, raised plots. Um, we have this special needs people who are out visiting our garden on a daily basis. They're from uh, places like um, Goodwill, um, United Cerebral Palsy, Salvation Army, and many, many other groups. Some of them are out there in wheelchairs, and we have wheelchair height plots that have been built by the Eagle Scouts so that these people with special needs can still come out and garden and get the fresh air and do what they can. Even if they're just sitting there, they're enjoying fresh air, and it's, you know, it's better than sitting inside in a different type of program. So they seem to be very happy to be out there. And, of course, when I see a smile from one of them, it makes all the hassles worthwhile. <laughs> Can I, ask you, can I ask a question, Paul, real quick? Sure, of course. How, how, how are, are, are your plots assigned to various people and are there responsibilities? And if they are, yeah. are the responsibilities tied to that? And how does that work? Yes, and, that, and yeah, thank you for asking. That's absolutely another thing that has had to evolve, you know, as you're working with that many people. That, um, and everybody's a volunteer. Nobody, nobody is paid. I'm certainly not paid. And as I tell them, I don't even garden there. I have... You know, I have four acres here in Valley Center, so we have plenty to do here. But So we need to have these jobs done. So what they do is they make a commitment. We have uh, paperwork that they sign when they come out. We have a waiting list. We always have a waiting list. And when they get called, when it's, there's a plot available, they come out, they meet with me, we do an introduction, and um, it, things are explained to them at that time. They are responsible for their plot, keeping things in the plot and not overgrown into the pathways and they are responsible for, for the pathway around it. About three, four times a year, we'll have a cleanup out there that is mandatory, and we make it as fun as possible. They come out. They're going to do it in a couple of weeks. They come out about 8 o'clock in the morning. I have breakfast stuff out there, but what we do is we don't work in our plot, but we work for the good of the whole garden, trimming, mulching, weeding, um, planting if it needs to be done, beautifying the garden so that we can keep it looking as pleasant as possible for the city of Escondido and they drive by there all the time because the police and fire department is right next door so you know we we know that we need to keep it looking good and that's one of the ways we can do it so I you know we bring some food out and I usually have a raffle of um, some things I've picked up that have to do with gardening and it keeps the gardeners pretty happy they're out there for about two and a half hours and you can get a lot done with that many hands you know cleaning and, and caring for the place other than their own plot uh, Beth, this is uh, Mike, and I wanted to ask you about the water availability. Does uh, is there like one spigot for every four plots or something like that? How how does how do the uh, plot uh, managers the you know yes. get water to there, there? That's exactly it. There there's one spigot for four plots. We use a hose. We use a hose there, and they share that. It's never a problem. You know, usually there's not two people in the same area that are out there at the same time. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, uh, you know, whether we should be, we should be watering a different way, uh, having it, having it so that uh, one person could turn it on for the whole garden. 
I have felt strongly that this was not a good idea, that the drip system, maybe it would be good for the plants possibly, although we have a lot of gardeners from a lot of different areas of the world, and they all garden a little differently and they water differently, so I don't even think it would work anyway. But I like the idea of having those gardeners have to come out and have to water. It would be, you know, they would be out there that much less if they knew, you know, the water was being turned on for them. So that's what we do. We have one hose for the, for the four plots. And we are, we are very lucky and we are very appreciative of the city of Escondido. Once again, they pay the water bill. Um, and last year when the drought was so bad, we, they decided to take a look at everything. They looked at our bill. They looked at, um, you know, how we are watering. And we made a few little changes. Um, we made sure that the gardeners knew they could only water two times a week, that they needed to water deeply. We showed them how to water instead of, you know, just way up on top, but right down at dirt level, watering deeply and choosing and them telling us two days a week that they would do that. And it's worked out. The city's been fine so far with it. And they explained if we went too high that we would be asked to, you know, pay the extra cost. Yeah, that's a good that's a good solution. The reason I was asking is um, I've, uh, I'm working with the Tijuana River Valley uh, Community Garden, and they're, they're looking at possibly using... Uh, drip system, but not making it automatic for the entire for all the plots, but yet allowing um, one of the plot. If, if if I'm working a plot, then I could just turn, you know, connect my mm-hmm. hose and turn it on, and then it would drip all the the plants in that in that plot. I've got another quick question for you. Do you tend to see when the planting is done in the plot that they take up most of the plot area with different uh, plantings, or do they kind of approach it? maybe use half of the plot and then grow into it over time? You know, it really varies. I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but, you know, we have seven languages spoken out at our garden. Wow. We have a lot of different cultures, and with those many different cultures come a lot of different ways of gardening. We have a large group um, of, of Chinese, elderly Chinese, who happen to live nearby. They do not drive, they can, but it's close enough that they can walk over, and their techniques of gardening are way different than anything we've seen in the vegetables that they grow. But I have, I have people from Korea. I have Russian, several Russian families out there. Um, you know, it goes on and on. And with that come a lot of variety in, um, you know, how they grow things, what they grow and how they grow it. And one of the best things about being out there is watching them interact, you know, seeing, um, seeing, you know, one gentleman from Russia talking to the, the man from China and sharing seeds or discussing what vegetables or, you know, or sharing the vegetables after they've been grown. So, you know, with, with that many languages and, and cultures come that many different ways to garden. Boy, what a, what a great way to get this cross-pollination of gardening knowledge and just uh, facilitating communication amongst uh, diverse groups. I think that's... Uh... Got to be one of the benefits. If the whole world can work it, like it that, is. Would it be is. Nice. It, you know, I mean, we're a little microcosm of, of the world, and with it yeah. come the problems and the benefits of all of that. And I have learned an awful lot about how to how to deal with all of that. Um, but but it's it's way more positive than negative. That's good. And and uh, have you in all these years ever run into any type of vandalism problems? Because I know that was one of the concerns there at the. Yeah, we have. I, you know what, though? I, we have another garden that's going in behind a church here in Escondido, and the man called me to ask me about the watering and how we did it. And um, you know, he's worried because he's so isolated that there's going to be vandalism. Yeah. Well, we're right out in the middle of 
you know, God and everybody, because we have Center City Parkway, we have the freeway, we have the apartments over there. And yes, we do. Is it is it major? I'm going to knock on wood as I say this. No. You know, That's we have good. some theft, that type of thing. Um, they climb over the fence. Um, but I think, as someone said to me long ago, Beth, it's like, you know, kids in a watermelon patch type of thing. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. It's fun. You know, a lot of times it is just kids being kids. Yeah. And if it's some, something other than that and somebody's stealing because they need the food, a lot of our gardeners say, you know what, if that's why they're doing it, let them have it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Great attitude. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it, you know, granted, it's frustrating. And so if I see somebody with a big, beautiful cantaloupe that's ripe or a big orange pumpkin out there or watermelon and they still haven't picked it, sometimes I'll actually just call and say, would you please harvest? It's, it's too <laughs> much temptation. Does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too much and temptation. I have to hear about it. <laughs> uh, we could have a pumpkin right. carving test or a contest. <laughs> yeah. um, Beth, uh, you've kind of touched on some of the benefits to the gardeners and the community in the city. Any Anything else you'd like to add? I mean, uh, obviously there's benefits. Uh, you've been in existence for 25 years. The teachers bring their kids on field trips to the community garden for goodness sake. So. What uh, what are yeah. some other things that uh, that you think are some positive things that for folks that are listening tonight may uh, encourage them to go out and participate or even start their own community garden? I, I I just think you know getting to know people and the more it reflects the community you live in and it takes a while it's taken years for us to really get to that point that I wanted to happen so quickly and it, it didn't it takes time to build that but once you really have all that variety. You know, whether it be the cultures or the ages, we have seniors, we have a gentleman out here who's almost 90, you know, and we have young kids out there, whether, you know, it's the languages, it's um, the people in the wheelchairs talking to the other people, the Eagle Scouts building a project out there, that's, that's the best, I think. Uh, once a year, we have a potluck out there, and, and it's a time when we will do some grilling, some barbecuing, but people bring food. And we encourage them to bring something that maybe they grew initially in their garden. And, you know, with different cultures come all these different different types of foods. And last year it was terrific. We it, They proudly stood up and explained their dish with, you know, all these different cultures out there doing that. And it just, to see them beaming and explaining what they had made and then watching everybody try it, um, it, it that's what makes it all worthwhile. That's a great picture that you... Uh just described of uh, community and sharing disparate recipes and yeah, different cultures. Yeah. That really is very, very encouraging. Well, I, uh, having, you know, uh, with that comes the understanding sorry. of what like, the, world, the world we're living in, I think. Yes. You can just get to literally get to know a few people <laughs> that are different than we are, who, who live a different type of life, and it's just it's fun. And who may not be able to communicate because of the language barrier, whatever that might be. Hey, so within just uh, the last few minutes of our discussion, since you've been a kindergarten teacher and I've got a grandson, that he just went into TK, and they never had TK when I was growing up. So I just want to get your quick uh, assessment of what you think of the TK program. <laughs> well, they started that. I heard about it. They started after I left. Um, you know, if, if a child isn't totally ready or they're, or they're a little bit too young, and you can put them in a program like that that's just prepping them for it, I, I, no one's going to lose on that. They're going to have they're going to have a great time. They're, those TK programs are usually at the school where they're going to be doing their regular kindergarten program as well. So I, I think it's 
it, it can't be anything but beneficial to the child. Well, maybe I'll coordinate with the teacher and offer to uh, do a little guided tour of our community garden there where we live. So. You should. Absolutely. You know, we it's really fun to see those kids out there, and they learn about the history of some of the plants because we do have that herb garden out there. They plant a plant. We read a story. They wander around. Uh, they're out in the fresh air. And so whether it's a classroom or Girl Scouts, anyone is welcome. Wow. Give me a call, and we'll set it up. So, so with all the vegetation that's grown, is it just for the people who have the specific plots and they do it with what they do what right. with they want to do, or is it sold? Is it? You know, if it's sold, I don't know about it. I, I don't have rules about that. But like I said at the beginning, it's we're pretty much a pure community garden. So I think um, for the most part, they're you know they're it's, the Chinese growing these big melons. That's what I was thinking about. They are cooking that up they're freezing it and they're keeping it for the winter i think most people are growing it for themselves we, you know, people come out to a community garden for a lot of different reasons some are out there for the exercise some of the some of them are out there for kind of the emotional benefits you get from the from the peace and the beauty of being out there um and some of them are out there literally to grow the food that they're going to put on their table tonight because they don't have a lot of money and i have a few of those out there and it's just wonderful to see, you know, what they can grow and trading with each other a little bit and that type of thing. Well, to, ha- to see them invest time and effort to grow their food, that's, I think th- it's rewarding for them, but it's got to give you satisfaction to have created an, an environment where that can happen. I, you know, I, I just uh, salute you for doing what you have done for the last 20 plus years. It's quite amazing. Thank you. Believe me, I wouldn't uh, do it if that weren't the reason. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. It makes it all worthwhile. She she does an excellent job, fellas. She really does, and uh, and uh, puts a lot of effort and a lot of time into the into the community garden, and is just beloved by all that are there. So, uh, Beth, thank you for all your uh, effort. Uh, any uh, any closing thoughts as we wrap up? No, we're just going to keep on going as long as we can on it. Uh, we're trying to we're trying to improve our palapa that we have out there right now, and. Um, you know, get some new thatching on that, and we're just going to keep going and evolving, and I hope getting better and better.